2: Hello, and welcome to episode number 22 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well today. So we have been home for two weeks now, and it feels great to recharge the batteries and get ready for the fall. We're starting to announce some dates, and that feels really good, but in the meantime, it's nice to be a bit more relaxed here at home in St. Louis, cooking dinners, coaching the kids' sports teams, and getting things done around the house. Uh, it's good to catch up. As tough as it was being stuck at home all of last year, it was great to get back out on the road, but this is the longest we've been home now since April, and, uh, and it feels great. I am so honored to have Bob Crawford on the show with me today. Bob is the bassist and a founding member of the Grammy-nominated Avett Brothers. I've been listening to them a lot these last couple weeks, and I'm kind of wishing I would have gotten into it earlier, because it is such good stuff. With the Avid's roots firmly entrenched in Americana, you might not equate them to the dead, but Bob is a huge fan, and they've had the opportunity to collaborate with Bob Weir many times over the years. Also joining me today is Mark Diamedi of the Juggling Sons Project out of New Jersey. Uh, He actually spends a lot of time playing with my bass player Skip from DSO as well, so we're going to hear about that. So as always, I'm so glad you're here, and before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There is the monthly Patreon subscription, with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month. With a subscription, you can get exclusive bonus content, including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road and home, community hang time with me, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out all about this and much, much more at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And wherever you're listening to the podcast, please rate, like, and review. So let's get right to it. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The black music moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today we honor the Meters. The Meters formed in 1965 with a lineup of keyboardist and vocalist Art Neville, guitarist Leo Nocentelli, and what is perhaps my all-time favorite rhythm section of bassist George Porter Jr. and drummer Zigaboo Modeliste. They were later joined by percussionist Cyril Neville, and their trademark sound blends funk, blues, and dance grooves with that second-line New Orleans vibe. The band performed and recorded their own music from the late 1960s until 1977 and played an influential role as backing musicians for other artists, including Paul McCartney, Robert Palmer, Dr. John, and Alan Toussaint, and became the house band for Toussaint's record label, Sans Sioux Enterprises. The Rolling Stones were so smitten with them that they invited them to open on their American and European tours in 1975 and 76. While they rarely enjoyed significant mainstream success, they were considered originators and their sound provided the basis for much of the funk and hip-hop music of the 80s and 90s, along with artists like James Brown. They released numerous albums including Fire on the Bio and 1974's Rejuvenation, which included well-known tunes such as People Say, Just Kiss My Baby, and the one we'll hear today, Hey Pocky Way. Although the lineup varied over the years, the band continued to perform all the way up to Art Neville's death in 2019 sometimes as the Funky Meters, and also as a short-lived group known as the Meter Men, featuring Paige McConnell with Fish on keyboards. They hit the R&B charts often and had numerous top 40 hits, with Sissy Strutt possibly being the biggest. Now, the Meters had many songs that were instrumental, so you might not know them by name, but you would go, Oh yeah, I know that song. They received many awards over the years, and in 2018 were presented with the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. The Dead debuted Hey Pocky Way in September of 1987, and it was the perfect vehicle for Brent Midland's soulful, raspy voice. They played it up until his death in 1990, usually in the first set and often as a happy feel-good show opener. The Grateful Dead's take on it was a little quicker than the greasy tempo and feel of the meters. It was uh, actually more like the later Neville Brothers version. Uh, but with Art Neville involved in both projects, they both have that fucky second-line groove in New Orleans going on. So, here are the meters. With the original 1974 recording of Hey Pocky Way.
0: i'm a psychotherapist and intuitive clarity coach do you desire a life that is in alignment with your authentic self and purpose for the past 12 years i've been helping my one-on-one coaching clients do just that with my three-step clarity coaching program if you are ready to gain clarity by claiming your path increase your confidence by activating your inner powers and take soul-led action to create a life that is in alignment with your purpose and passions, then book a free 30-minute clarity call with me. You'll find the link on the sponsor page of themusicplaystheband.net and on my website, yourclarity.coach. I'm looking forward to supporting you on your journey.
2: For today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town, we head to New Jersey to talk with guitarist Mark Diamedi, a longtime fixture on the Jersey Shore dead scene. So I am here today with Mark Diamedi, who I am going to not put a name on a project because we got a lot of irons in the fire, but Mark is up in the New Jersey area. Hello and welcome. Thanks for being here. How you doing, Rob? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Now, I know you've got... Uh, Let's Go back a bit first because you got you're You got you're, you're in a lot of different projects, you do a lot of different stuff. You've been around the New Jersey and New England scene for a long time, though. Going back with the juggling suns and solar circus, so why don't we just start back there real quick?
3: Okay, uh, yeah, we were uh, Solar Circus was fortunate enough to um, to get signed with Relics Records, I guess it was in 1988. Um, we did uh, probably three or four. CDs we actually have a vinyl our first our first record was vinyl so um, we're not dating yeah. ourselves or anything though. <laughs> but um yeah I mean just being with Relics was uh the, the exposure was was phenomenal uh, just I mean, getting to do interviews in their in their magazine with uh Les and Tony back in the day you know and, uh, you know, uh, Solar Circus kind of ran its course uh, in the later years of Solar Circus uh, where J- Jason Crosby was playing the keyboards for us. And, and you know, everybody in the Dead Sea knows what he's doing these days. It's just, you know, um, but when that ran its course, uh, then I did some uh, I did another recording with Juggle, Juggling Sons was like a side project that I had at the time. And Jerry had just passed away and um the juggling sons was like my tribute grateful dead tribute band where solar circus was more of um more of an original music project and and uh les and tony wanted to do something uh in tribute to jerry Pass. and so we released a cd called uh, doorway to the angels back then uh it was a year or so right after jerry passed we wound up. Uh, we went doing a movie, and we got in a small part in Runaway Bride, and uh, with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, and, and, and uh, we got to Japan to play there, and you know we did a bunch of tours and stuff. So, yeah, so that was like the the older history of what happened. Juggling Sun survived for, geez, uh, I mean, it, it still actually exists, but I don't do a lot of stuff uh, under that name these days. And
2: you're doing, I mean, but you're still doing all kinds of stuff these days. I know that. I mean, I know that you play. Well, first of all, how often are you playing now?
3: I try and play as as much as humanly possible because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this is all, this is what I do. You know, I play every day. I mean, but I mean, I'm not gigging every day. But depending on you know. What the market's like? Uh, it, it's been great here on the Jersey Shore these past four or five years. It's a, I mean, you could go into any bar and, and it, that has a band playing and hear Grateful Dead music. It's almost like it's top forty now. It's it's just incredible, you know. That's awesome. And I know you're. Uh,
2: I know during yeah. the pandemic you had a pretty steady gig with uh, with Skip, my, the bass player from Dark Star, and I think you even just played with him yesterday.
3: Yes, yes, uh, Skip. Uh, so Skip lives out here on the Jersey shore with, and so, uh, you know, he showed up at one of the gigs and, and we started talking and we should, you know, it turns out we have like a, we have a lot of old friends, uh, mutual old friends and you know, just growing up in New Jersey and being musicians. And, and so, uh, we, you know, we hit it off really well. And, uh, you know, I, we, we did a lot of stuff with, uh, Dan Donovan, who's put, who, uh, is in a band called Cosmic Jerry Band, and uh, I recently started doing a bunch of gigs with those guys, also. So, yeah, it's just it's just been you know. I think even Phil said it at one point that uh, it's like in the future there's going to be no bands. It's just everybody's going to speak the same language, you know.
2: <laughs> it's, it's it's so true, you know. And we talk. I've talked about that and touched on this before. You know, the the Grateful Dead's catalog now is is like jazz standards, where. Yeah. yeah, I did it the other night. I played with some guys that I've never played with at a, a, a gig, though, at a club um, yeah. where we can go up there, though. And it's it's like the the dead catalog now is like the real book. You know, you can go yeah. up and say, these are the tunes we're playing and here, let's go. And, and if you're with the right group of musicians, yes, you can go up there and interpret
3: those songs on the spot with people you've never played with before. Absolutely. You know, and, and like and, and anybody, any musician that really gets it, you know, it's just. It's all about being in the moment and, uh, you know, having musical conversation on stage. The Grateful Dead's music just allows that, just like jazz did. You know, it's yeah. a, it's really a phenomenal genre. It's a genre in itself these days. So that kind of leads me into my next question. Then do you, you know, whether you're playing with your groups or you're playing with, uh,
2: you know, one-offs with, with different people, do you take a specific approach? What is your specific approach to interpreting and performing the music?
3: You know, for for me, it, it, my my approach it feels like it's evolved over the years, and and you gotta just hope that if you're doing this all these years that it's gonna get better. You know, um, but I hope so, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, to me, the, when 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 the music is is working the best, it's it's when you can hear everybody um and everybody is working is, is communicating on stage being in the moment um you know uh, that for the jams you know it's just like um there, there's certain there's certain lines and and riffs and stuff that that need to be there because they're you know, an integral part of the song but once you go beyond that um it's really like you know how are we feeling tonight, guys. I, um, what do you, what do you have to say? How am I going to respond to that? And, and you know, well, this is what I'm going to say, and how how they respond to what I do. So you know it, th- that that's the approach. You know um, from from a, a jamming standpoint, from a lyrical standpoint, from a from a, a vocal standpoint, uh, you know it's just. Robert Hunter's lyrics are just so amazing. And and they tell such great stories and and everybody can relate to, you know, the content. And and so it's like, um, well, it's just one of the things that that Jerry taught me was just to, to live the song and, 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 you know, where each syllable of each word becomes important, you know, you know, And, and just feeling it and, experiencing it as if uh you know you're, you're that's that's what's happening right then you know are, are there certain tunes and we're speaking lyrically again so're staying
2: on that are there certain tunes that just what's the word I would mean, just
3: pull, emotionally just grab you pull at your heartstrings when you play them well you know I, I as a spectator I I used to when I still used to see the dead I used to I used to dig the ballads um but um you know the Jerry ballads were for, for me because you know i was always getting the the, the 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 that role in the bands that i was playing um but um yeah the, the, the ballads because they're just they're so emotional It comes a time i mean just those those you know if you ever felt like you 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 fucked up in life or something, you know. It's like <laughs> you could sing that, and it's almost like you know, uh what a penance or something, <laughs> you know. You it's like, um, I, I love the I love the Jerry ballads, you know. But but again, you know, with 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 their stuff, it's like on depending on what you're going through in your life at the time any song could really stand out like you know uh, like like doing liberty right now and, and right some people you know some people might feel like their uh you know their social freedoms are disappearing and, and uh so you know that that one's got a lot of punch for me these days you know or the you know i'm just going going through a divorce right now so any any of the love tunes are, <laughs> are
2: like and you know sure man it's it's also know.
3: it's amazing how
2: one song can have so many different meaning meanings to different people depending on where
3: they're at in their personal space at that point and and that's what the genius of robert hunter was i mean it's just you know they're exactly what you just said is it, it just it can mean so many a good song has that you know it has uh, it can mean different things at different times of people's lives you
2: know i'd imagine you know, you've been you've been part, firmly entrenched in that scene up there for a long time. I'd imagine you have a pretty large group of regulars who have supported you, enjoyed and enjoyed the music over the years. Uh,
3: I am so blessed with all the all the friends you know, we we all feel like one big family, you know, and then that's that's. Uh it's been it's been wonderful like that yeah. and the other part of it too is there's so many great musicians in New Jersey um, you know it, it just it just knocks your socks off you know um jersey shore you know i mean it's famous for Bruce Springsteen and, and that sound but it, i mean it has a great blues scene and now it has a great jam band scene you know um, so and I just with solar circus uh, the day after Jerry died um we had a regular gig on the jersey shore uh, residency there and uh Bruce springsteen showed up and and I mean the place was just packed because you know everybody needed to be with fellow deadheads and and uh Bruce was kind enough to get up on stage for jammed with us for a good forty-five minutes that night. And there's actually, a, if you if you YouTube, uh, if you search uh, Solar Circus and Bruce Springsteen, there's a video of us doing um, Mustang Sally with him. You know, I know wow. my hair was yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
2: amazing. I never know. I'm gonna have to go find that. Do you see fresh faces as well? Do you see the youngsters getting turned on in the music in your scene as well?
3: That's the other amazing phenomenon of this whole thing is that, yeah, there's lots of young people and, and it's really a younger crowd that, that supports what's going on. Although there's a lot of folks are, you know, are, are peers also, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's regenerated itself. And uh, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that's happening all over the country. You know? It's, it's great. I mean, it's going to keep this music alive forever. Well, hey, I can't thank you
2: enough for taking the time. I know you're busy, and I appreciate you finding some time in your day to come and uh, speak with me and share a little bit about the scene up on the Jersey Shore. And uh, that's Mark Diomedi from, uh, I guess we're going to call from the Juggling Sons? Sure,
3: sure, yeah.
2: That's Mark Diomedi from the Jersey Shore dead community. How's that?
3: <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man.
2: All right, man. Well, thank you for being here today and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, It was my pleasure, Rob. Thank you for having me. Take care. That was great, and I want to thank Mark for taking the time out of his day to be here. If you like what you were hearing today and would like to support the podcast, we have two different ways for you to do that. You can make a one-time contribution via PayPal or become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month that includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, community hang time, videos from home and on the road, including some old rare DSO footage, and much, much more. You can support the cause, learn more about the podcast and our sponsors, read the blog, or contact me through our website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might be listening. Thank you all for your continued support and for helping to spread the word. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, go to Grateful Sweats for subtle dead designs. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy and see for yourself. Designs that only other heads will get. When you're wearing the state of Tennessee with Jed and someone says nice shirt, you know they're on the bus. The cap with a single finger in the air makes its point as well. Now look great on tour with men's and ladies tees and tanks, caps, pins, and clearance items as low as $5. Get them at www.etsy.com shop slash grateful sweats or you can click from our sponsors link at themusicplaystheband.net My featured guest today is bassist Bob Crawford of the Avett Brothers and a, a conversation like this one is a big reason why I enjoy doing this podcast so much Bob and I have never spoken before and it was a real treat He's very well spoken and has a huge passion for history and as the conversation went on we found out that we have a whole bunch in common He's extremely busy and only had a certain amount of time to give me, for which I am most appreciative. Uh, we definitely could have gone on a lot longer, and I'm hoping to get him back again one day and take an even deeper dive into all things Grateful Dead. There was so many questions I had that we just never got to. So in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with bassist Bob Crawford. Okay, good morning. I am here today with Bob Crawford, bass player for the Avett Brothers, who I am just meeting for the first time. And pleasure to meet you. Thank you for being here
1: big fan of yours rob and i'm glad to be here
2: awesome man so much i really appreciate it so you're home north carolina right yes sir and in raleigh yeah. did i get that right
1: yeah we're we're between raleigh and chapel hill
2: right on and how you've been staying busy during this insane insane time we've been dealing with well i mean i've been
1: extremely busy uh you know the band is we just started getting going again you know this past uh i guess june the end of june we started our year and it's been a fuller year than I expected it would be. You know, if you would have asked me in March what I thought 2020 would look like, I would have said that, uh, well, by the time people get vaccines, we're looking at September, maybe we'll, right. if we get September, October, November, and it'll be a great year, it's a- actually the opposite, right? Like we, <laughs> we had that brief window in May where things looked like they were really turning around and. And and we had, because of being outside and the safety that that offers us, um, we've had a great, uh, summer and now the hesitation is going inside. Like that's, we don't know what to do about that. So we're trying to make some decisions about that as we speak. And, um, I think we'll do some shows and we won't do others. And it, it's just, uh, we
2: just hope 2022, we can finally get some, uh, some stability i hear you at the same point back in june we made all these grandiose plans for the fall we'll do full indoor tour we'll start here just like normal and now we're picking and choosing what's safe to do same thing yeah um i also noticed you have a podcast i do it's called the road to now and it's a
1: history podcast and we focus on mainly american history um and it'll be often political history, but we do a lot of, we'll do sports. We did the history of golf. We've done history of NASCAR with Kyle Petty. Um, and so our goal with the road to now is to kind of look at how we got to this moment, whatever the topic, like, you know, how did we get here because we know that history is contingent on events and it is a, uh, not predictable uh you know we we take for granted that we're in the situation we're in you know just it was in it was inevitable all things were inevitable right oh world war ii was inevitable uh vietnam war was inevitable um but but what you learn when you study history is nothing was inevitable and we can't really predict the future historians are terrible uh, predictors of the future, but we do a good job at trying to piece together the past.
2: Wow, that's great! So, you're definitely keeping busy. I know you have family as well. Yes. Um, you grew up in New Jersey, yes, sir. Tell me, tell us a little bit how you got started in music.
1: Well, I grew up in New Jersey, so I liked Bruce Springsteen from an early age. Uh, that was kind of went along with the territory I'm from just outside of Atlantic City, and he was from Asbury Park, and that was almost like 45 minutes away, maybe an hour away. And, um, when my sister was a fan, but you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old this year, uh, 84 when born in the USA came out, uh, I already had some familiarity with him, but, uh, I got really, I was really into music at the time, uh, being like 13 years old and, um, just went in full bore and I wanted to play guitar so I could play Bruce Springsteen songs. You know, I started it at born in the USA and I went backwards in his catalog. And the first song I tried to learn was growing up on the guitar. And, uh, and that's really through him is where I, you know, wanted to be in a band and wanted to play music. And also through him is where my music broadened you know, because I would read about him and he was into Roy Orbison was influential for him. So then I'm 15 years old, going back and learning about Roy Orbison or, or Elvis, or, or, um, even in some weird ways, like Peter Gabriel, I got really into Peter this is before. So came out, I got really into Peter Gabriel and I went back into his catalog and worked up from there. And, you know, just, just how it's like from one artist, you can connect and, uh, and and find a whole world of music that was kind of unexpected
2: just by tracing the history for sure so did you just pick up a guitar and start teaching yourself do you take lessons no
1: I no I did not and it took me a long time to learn my mom you know I, I was at this age where I wasn't really good at sports and I would come home from school and I I would just You know, make a plate of nachos uh, and sit there and watch TV. And and my mom knew something had to change. So I got they got me a guitar for Christmas and signed me up for lessons. And that's where where I started. Yeah. And it wasn't. I didn't just pick it up.
2: Right. You know what I'm saying? Like. But you took it though. I mean, you went. You said you ended up studying in college, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. No, I did because it was more of a it was more of a desire than a natural ability. My. My will to learn was superior to my, uh, clumsy, uh, just, you know, I just wasn't good, but I was, I was driven, I was right. driven. And so over a period of, of years, I, I got, I became acceptable, uh, and then, and have prospered, you know, 20 years of playing bass with the Avid brothers. Well, I can do that. Right. I can do that,
2: you know. So you had, you got Peter Gabriel and you mentioned in and, and Springsteen, so little Steven and that who were some of the other guitar influences early on?
1: Well, so yeah. And I glad you say guitar because I played guitar and up until, you know, 2000, uh, 2001, uh, well, early on it was, it was Springsteen. Uh, David Gilmore was a big, a big fan of his style and his tone and his um he can he can go fast if he needs to but he's more about the uh the the melodic character of his of his style right. and his just the the beauty you know even though he's so blues influenced he it was um he just got this really big uh triumphant sound you know yeah, to to out, out of his guitar. So I always I always loved his work. Um, But I was in a weird place because when I started the same time I started under the influence of Springsteen, I was freshman in high school. And then I became under the influence of punk rock. Right on. And so uh, it's so weird because I was taking in and I always loved pop music. I mean, you know, growing up, I always loved pop music, Uh, but then I was getting this influence of Clash, Ramones, Husker Du, The Damned, The Smiths, like all this other stuff was coming at me. So I think what, as a musician, what saved me or what made me continue on in spite of my lack of natural ability was this punk rock ideal that it didn't matter.
2: Right on. Just, just go for it. Matter. Right, just go for it. That that's so important though, because it you know not only it just informs us as a musician. The more you know, the more the more genres you're into, the more that informs. Not necessarily that you're going to play that way, but in, it informs you psychologically how to approach an instrument. Just knowing all those different genres.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 knowing that everyone didn't know what they were doing. Nobody knew what they were doing when they started. You know, right. it's like they they you know we talk about jerry garcia it's like you know he created this own he he created a a style of his own um by by trying to mimic his the people that he was influenced by but you know it's at some point it was it it was him and so he kind of created his own style and i think what punk rock did was give license to everyone to to, like you said, just kind of jump off and, uh, and just, you know, grip it and rip it as,
2: as they grip say. It and rip it. I'm a big golfer. So I'm all over that.
1: I'm a big golfer too, Rob. Excellent. I love them. I, I, and again, no natural ability whatsoever. I'm, I'm terrible. Uh, but I love it. It's awful, but I don't, and I, <laughs> I'll, I go through phases with it and I'll spend, uh, you know, do you, do you play on the road
2: all the time? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I find that, you know, I got a set of clubs, they're in the bus. Mine too. And I might go three, four days in a row playing. Yep. You know, because our listeners here will know that what do we do right in the day? You know, there's, we can be constructive or we can be destructive.
2: I call my golf clubs my sanity keeper on the road. Absolutely. They are my sanity keeper and I will play every day off and a lot of show days as well. Just, I'm a junkie, man. It's, it's a good drug to be addicted to.
1: You know, what's so funny about it though? Uh, You know, but because yeah, you can make progress with music. You can, you can get better, right. (laughs) And you can control, there is a, that you do develop a bit of control and a bit of patience and, and you kind of, you know, when you're learning a song, there are only so many molds out there for, for songs. Right. And so you kind of, the, the more you play, the longer you play, you can be playing a song you've never heard before, but it doesn't take you long to figure out it's going to, this is how this thing's going to move. I'm going to go from this major chord to this minor chord. I'm going to go from the one to the five and all this stuff. Golf. I feel like no matter how much time I spend with it, no, no matter how much study I put in, I have no control if I'm going to shoot uh, in the ninety, way I'm in the high nineties, which is like really good for me, or in the you know the one tens,
2: sure man. or above. I have no control it's a fickle mistress. You know, it, it, it I'll I'll go out one day and shoot 85 and less than 24 hours later, I'll shoot 97. You know, it yeah. just, there's, there's, there is no control at all. And then you right. get in your head. You don't know, we could go on golf all day. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Can't. I'll say one last thing about golf. <laughs> I
1: believe it's, it's, it's an MRI. It shows you who you are, right? Oh, yeah. It shows you, it shows you where your trigger points are like emotionally and psychologically. And uh, your the strength of your mind, uh, your endurance. Because when I'm, I'll go through days where I play really bad and I'm ready to break the clubs in half. Um, and then I go through days where I'm playing really bad and I'm like, the victory is finishing. Yes, the victory is finishing. Even if it's a hole, it doesn't like if I'm I'm at seven here on the green. Uh, I don't I don't care. I'm gonna. If I survive this 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 outing, uh, there's a victory in that. So
2: it, it used to be it was so important. I got to play good, and now it's just I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm yeah. just I'm fortunate to get out there. All right, I'm gonna go. Let's go straight to it. We, we honestly, I should have a golf podcast because I could talk about it all day oh, long. Yeah. Um, so how old are you? Where are you? How did you okay. first get turned on to the dead?
1: So there were glimmers of the dead in high school uh so you're talking about we're talking about 87 touch of gray and dark comes out but uh, but even before that i remember being at friends houses and hearing go to heaven uh of course i always knew Uncle John's Skeletons in the Closet. It just kind of classic. I grew up with classic rock radio. So, so you know, there was that that was always there. It's, you know, you, there's a time you can't remember a time where you didn't know some of these songs, like sure. the, the Skeletons in the Closet songs, Box of Rain, Uncle John's Band, uh, you know, uh, Ripple, um, Sugar Magnolia. Uh, but then it, it, the turn came probably Post-Touch of Grey, really, where I really got bit by it, uh, may, maybe around that time, maybe 87, 88, where I really got into it and started going to shows uh, 90, but then 92 was when I really started going to shows.
2: You use, First, you use the term, the turn, which I love, and then you use the term, I got bit by it. What was it? What what bit you, man? What sucked you in?
1: I do I do remember a a day in the waning, oh the waning of high school. So the waning days of high school, which was probably eighty nine, and you know friends' parents go out of town, and you hang out at that person's house all weekend, and uh, and listening to, you know, a few albums, probably, Go to Heaven, Blues for All, or and just being and not being bit by it yet, but being like this is a great place to be. This is a great vibe. It was just really relaxing. Uh, and, and it wasn't like we were partying. so hard. it was, it was none of that. You know, I remember like a Sunday afternoon and just, just hanging out, chilling, sitting in beanbag chairs and just listening and, uh, and just being like, this is, this is, there's something here. That's really nice. Um, but, but as far as being bit by it and I could use the same analogy for golf and i have uh it that's when you get rid of all your other cds or your music because you're just going to listen to the dead forever that's all you're going to listen to is the dead because what why why do you need anything else which is kind of silly which which i've you know of course i recant that
2: sure but when you're in that moment that's it but when you're
1: in that moment yeah yeah you're like you, you know and i remember uh people coming to me uh, years a few years later offering me their nirvana cds and their alice in chain cds because they had just gotten into the dead and you know so i don't think i ever personally got that extreme but but that's all i wanted to listen to and then rob you'll remember back then it was about finding the bootlegs
2: yeah man all on which, cassette
1: which kids today will take for granted sure they just How, press a button and go to the archive now Man, you would go to a show. I remember going to the giant stadium in 92 and, and then in the ensuing weeks, trying to find that show and, you know, going here, going there, this guy might have it. This guy might have it. Oh, uh, oh, here's some 77. Cause, oh, you need to, you need to copy these 77 shows. These are just incredible. Uh, You know, you know, and just trying to, you know, find shows and just being and then being being turned on to once you you get you kind of get bit, you get in the door, then you're listening to, to you're beginning to acquire some bootlegs and you're you're saying, wow, 87 with Brent was really different than than uh than 81. And this these things sounded so different, and Keith is so different than Brent. And uh, you know, and then there's this Vince wellnick stuff and what well, uh, you know, it just just you, you begin to realize that this band, had one band, many, many lives. Yes, you know?
2: for sure. You know, and back then, like listening to those cassettes, then people would get, at you know, first all, I remember people having the ads in the back of Relics looking for cassettes, looking for bootlegs. But a lot of the stuff we would get from in the really older stuff, the 60s and early 70s, it just sounded so bad what we would get that that band wasn't anything I would be into at that moment. Later on, when we start to really hear what they were doing back then and and hear good quality tapes of that, you're like, oh my God, this is, it's a completely different band. Equally as impressive, maybe more impressive, but completely different.
1: Well, yeah, because I remember hearing, um, you know, I I knew that I just knew Bill Kritzman and Mickey Hart were the drummers. And then I remember hearing a bootleg from the very early seventies, maybe the late sixties. And I'm like, man, those guys sound incredible on this. And my friend said, this, this is just Bill. This is just Billy. No, this, was... this is before Mickey." Yeah. And i are like, "Oh my gosh, he was insane, insane. in that period, yeah. you know." And and of course, Pigpen. Again, it's a whole different band. We used to always say it was Pigpen's band mm-hmm. at that point, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, people can argue about that, but it, it was a different. It was a blues band. It was a different a different group. Uh, man, it was a King B. Mm -hmm. So so I remember discovering King B and, and some of those uh, covers that he would sing and, and just, you know, then you have, so it's like, when you get into it, it's, it's not as it first appears. And the deeper you get into it, there's these layers and layers and layers and layers. So you really could spend your whole life uh, with this band.
2: It's a hundred percent. It's interesting to hear you talk about the drummer and the layers and layers, because at that point you're a guitar player but it doesn't sound like necessarily Garcia was the only reason that you were way into the dead. No, but, but once I did
1: get, so, so this was the turn. this is like for me playing these more punk influence bands to, to playing, just wanting to play the dead world music, the jam, what we would know today as jam, right. which I did. And so I move. So I slowly make, make my way through college after flunking out of community college, uh, <laughs> and then going nine, this is the 92 time period where I'm going to, I'm not saying I'm on the road with the dead, but I'm going every week. Right. I'm, I'm to Buffalo. I'm to giant stadium. I'm to RFK. I'm out the Buckeye Lake, Ohio. So I'm, I'm gone a lot. People are starting to worry about me. Uh, (laughs) I'm asking for a lot of time off. Uh, And I quit. Yeah, I quit school. And then I'm working and I'm working at Sizzler and I'm working with this guy who's it goes to the state school in my, in my, in my town. And he says, man, you need to, and he's ahead and we, we go to shows together. We become good friends. And he says, man, man, you need to go back to school. You need to come back to, you need to go to, to Stockton, you know, Stockton, Richard Stockton College of New Jersey, which is now Stockton University, which is its own podcast probably. Um, <laughs> but he says, you need to go to Stockton. I was like, well, I can't, I flunked out a community college. I can't get into Stockton. He's like, no, he's like, take one class. You can take one class. I guess what we would say, audit, auditing the class. Right. And then if you do well, you can get on a path to get in. And so on his advice, I take a class, I do good, I take another class, I do okay, and they they accept me. So I go to college, I ultimately settle into radio and television, which we had no TV department, it just it was all radio. But I get an internship with the local ABC affiliate, well, the Philadelphia ABC affiliate who had an office in South Jersey. And the guy I interned for says, You need to, you need to drive south because that's the up and coming. This is 96. Now we're talking about about 95, 96. He says, uh, 96. He says, you need to, the Olympics are in Atlanta. You've got to drive South. You got to knock out, knock on doors and you got to hand out resumes. That's how you're going to get in this business. South is the NASCAR banking. The South is the up and coming market. So I pack up my station wagon with won't say all my possessions, but the ones that mattered the most. And I literally drive south, knock on doors, and I got work in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing film production, just like uh, fetching coffee, sweeping floors, painting walls, running errands, that kind of stuff. And I settled down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the local music scene there was so vibrant and rich compared to South Jersey, which you know, there, we had some places that supported local music, but, but it was just in the South. It just seemed, uh, more, there was just more, there were more places to play, more people that, that would go out. Um, and this is the beginning of the jam period, right? The horde tour is probably starting to kick up now and fish is out there for sure. And, um, I fell in with a bunch of guys there and we had a band, Room 454, and and uh we we played jam music, you know. We we did dead covers and Dylan covers and original songs and and uh you know that's what I wanted to do up until when I uh eventually went back to school to study music a couple of years later and then met Scott and Seth.
2: When 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 you met Scott and Seth you, you had just picked up the bass from what I understand. I mean, you're, the bass was a new instrument for you when you meet Scott and Seth. So at that point is, or Jerry and Bob, musically speaking, and you've also studied jazz at that point. So mm-hmm. it, it, are, are Jerry and Bob a bigger influence on your playing than Phil are at that point, You know, whether, whether it's physical or psychological? So, Rob, you know
1: this, right? The instrument you play is what you hear when you listen to music. Right. It's what jumps out. It's not, it's not, it's like not the only thing you hear, but it's the thing that, it's,
2: that it's what you gravitate towards. Sure.
1: Yeah. And so here I had my whole life hearing guitar, you know, whether it's the rhythm track or the lead track, or how did they get that? how did they get that, that rhythm? They, was that? Two or three acoustics playing together or, or man, that little solo part here. And they added this little thing here. You know, you're just, you're, you're hearing you're hearing that instrument. So I didn't start hearing the bass until probably months after I started playing the bass.
2: Wow, man. Well, th- 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 which leads me to a great, <laughs> and really interesting, in my opinion, question. Cause with, with, with the Avits, you know, it's, it's an Americana slant, you know, it's, it's Americana music, which I love so much. And you're playing primarily upright a little bit of electric, but majority well, of upright. Now now I would
1: say depending, okay, because uh for your listeners who don't know, we uh we have a lot of songs. Yeah. And, and we don't do now now twenty twenty one, and I think a lot of fans aren't weren't really happy about this for a while, but I think they're 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 getting better with it. But but our decision was let's not mix up the set list too much because we haven't played for a right. year and a half. Sure. Yeah. makes sense. So, but the thing I was always so proud of or what I, I always felt like this is what we share with the dead because we're, we're not jamming all night. We're playing songs, right? right. We're playing songs, but we always mixed up the set list because we have over a hundred songs that are at least available to, to struggle through if not 70 or 80 that we can we can uh we can sell as my son would say i'm going to sell this wrestling i could sell this wrestling move he says these days um he's like i can sell that i could sell that uh but so we could we can sell a lot of these songs and then there's a smaller bunch maybe 40 that we can play well on any given night so (laughs) We always would mix up the set list pretty, I mean, there are two or three songs we probably play every night, but we would always mix up the set list. Uh, and it got to the, it started out where we made the set list on stage, you know, in, during the show. Right. And then at some point we started making
2: it 20 minutes before the show. Just have a little and, bit more flow to the, to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We began to realize, like the dead, that we can do this combination of songs. We could do this combination of songs. These work well. We would try that stuff right like that. on. So when twenty twenty one hit, we we said we haven't. We're not. We haven't been doing a lot of this for for a while. So let's let's just kind of keep it stable. Let's sure. get back in the mode of just doing this. And there was a comfort now. Now, as the years gone on, gotten more comfortable. Now we're mixing it up. Now we're right mixing on. it up. More. But, uh, but, uh, but um, I don't remember why I started talking about this, but
2: then, we were talking about playing electric and, and, and upright. Right.
1: So, um, so, so some, depending on the set list, I could be 50, okay. 50, I could be 60, 40 electric these days. I could be 60, 40. Last week we, I remember there were a couple of shows in a row. I was like, man, I'm I'm playing the upright all night and that hasn't happened in years. So it's right just on. depending on what's called the,
2: the, the music you guys are playing which purely Americana for lack of a better term on my, if, if that's, I hope I'm not. I, it no, by I, any that, means. That,
1: that's what I, that's how I would describe it to
2: someone. So in, in, in the music you're playing, the bass lines, it's a lot of root and fifth. And it's very much on the downbeat, you know, that's the antithesis of Phil's playing. So how do you personally interpret Phil's style? And is there any of that you can bring with you to the stage? So
1: let's think about guitar players who played bass. And now it's been 20 years. So I'm a bass player. <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't play this anymore. I don't play guitar anymore. <laughs> so I am a bass player. But for me, loving jam music, loving bluegrass, which is the bass is very similar to what I play now. But but loving the lead instrument, it was always hard for me to lay back, right? That mm-hmm. was always really hard for me. And if you listen to Mignonette, any of our older albums or older recordings, when it was three of us or four of us, I'm um, all over the place. And that was good for that time. And that was me, right? Interpreting all the things that influenced me right? More guitar players than bass players. It's funny. Like, I guess I've never looked, looked this up to confirm it, but I was always told that Stephen stills played bass in those Crosby stills and Nash albums. And if you listen to them, like sweet Judy blue eyes or carry on, or um the bass is all over the place. <laughs> it's moving. It just makes sense that a guitar player played this, but what has happened, the band has grown from Three to four to seven. To seven, right. More people, the less you need to do. More people, less space, right? I have grown from 30 to 50 and have matured on an instrument I just started playing, you know, when I started with these guys. Uh, And so rather than me, like I used to try to fit as much of the fill influence as I could into what I was doing with those guys, just the movement. And it, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. What I have come over the past, I'd say four years to accept and love. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, I'm actually loving it. Is trying to just put all that away I want to play obviously what's suitable for the song, but I want to be selective where I move. Uh, I want to be selective with my fills. I want to play long notes that hold that sustain. I want to blend notes into other notes. That's the trick. Uh, and that's just kind of created me to be much more relaxed on stage.
2: Is a lot of that then just like, hitting on the one and letting that hold for the whole bar. It
1: could, it it could be. Yeah, it could be. And think about no hard feelings.
2: That's all you need to do. Right. Sure.
1: That's all you need to do. I remember watching John Prine play. We were so fortunate to play a few shows with him and talking to his bass player. And after one of the shows and the realization that I kind of came away with, people are coming to hear these words. They're coming now, 20 years in, you know, in 2003, it was about shaking your butt on stage, spinning the bass. Everybody's jumping up and down, rolling around on the ground, picking the bass up over my head. We're just sweating. It's like going out there and trying to run a sprint for two hours. Right. I think now, and I watch Willie again, being so fortunate to watch Willie and his band, you know, night after night play. And it's about letting the songs kind
2: of take the lead. That's, that's a, that's a beautiful, just natural maturation process.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Very much so. Are, are, Are any of your bandmates big dead fans?
1: They have grown to be greater appreciators of the dead.
2: Is that because of you?
1: I don't, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to some extent it is, uh, but I think years ago we did, and this was one of my top five things we ever did. We did a Jerry Garcia tribute uh, with Warren Haynes. And we basically folded him into our band. Oh, beautiful. We did, uh, we recreated a Jerry Garcia show and we were offered to, somebody came to us to do that. And the the guys did it because of me for me because of me and we made charts. We like found the the versions of the songs that we were going to interpret and they, we made charts, we made books like songbook. We've not done this for our own rec. We've only done this. We've done it minimally, (laughs) but we, we invested from August. We played in like the end of October or September. No, like end of October. And we played at George Mason was where we did the show. And we started rehearsing in August. We would do just wow. Jerry, Jerry rehearsals. And these guys took it so seriously. And for a while, we, we folded some of those songs into our sets. Like Forever Young, we played for a year. Mission in the Rain. Oh, yeah. We played for a year or two. And I still believe, like, I don't know if the deads pl- plays that song. I don't know if anybody plays that song right now. I feel like. We should be like, that's, this that's this, we should own that. Like meaning like own it as in have it be a standard of our repertoire and, and it,
2: maybe it'll come back at some point. It's one of my favorites to play for sure. We don't get to play it that often, but I yeah,
1: love it. Yeah. So, so, um so those guys have a, and then on their own, they've grown a deeper appreciation for the dead. So.
2: Do you guys ever have a chance? I mean, obviously not during shows, but it's sound checks or rehearsals. Do y'all ever just let it go and take it out and jam? Rarely. Hey, have you got them to that point yet? We push,
1: I push, and I push, and I push. And <laughs> so sometimes it comes up in the weirdest, like on stage, it comes up, like in the weirdest places where we'll do things. I think they're more prone to do it nowadays. Uh, and then there'll be some things we've we've added expansions, like we have a song called "Another Is Waiting," and there's like a a kind of a chord progression breakdown that gets kind of jammy, and that came post. Garcia stuff or around that same time. So I think that, I think that influence was
2: in there. Um, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I saw, I saw a video. I was looking around and I saw that you took, you took your cello player, Joe to fairly well. And that's quite a departure for him. He's totally not from this, this realm of music. What no, was
3: that
2: like? It was
1: so good. I'm so glad we got to do at first. I'm glad we got to go.
2: And it was kind of a thing where
1: it was last minute. Getting tickets was hard. And there's a whole story of getting him the ticket, you know, the, like because he said like the day before, he's like, ah, I think I want to go to that. And so we we had to put, we had to, uh, we had to go through some machinations to get tickets, to get him a ticket. And it was, it was so, it was like, uh, that's how those experiences come together, right? Like you, just, you can never imagine uh, how that experience will come together. And it did. Uh, he he just loved it. And I'm glad he got to get that experience.
2: You're 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 in your happy place at that point. You're getting to go back to this. And you're it taking someone with you who's never seen anything like that. Right. And it's 70,000 people. 70,000 people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, did yeah. that, do you feel like, did that change his uh, perspective on the whole rock and roll, he, or the jam well, band thing?
1: He grew up classical music. Like he didn't, he wasn't listening to rock and roll when he was right. a teenager. He wasn't, I mean, he came into all that stuff in college at the, at the earliest and a lot of it, he's learned with us. And so, yeah, that was a, a mind blowing, uh, uh, experience for him. Yeah. It was great. So beautiful.
3: Man. Never so forget
1: beautiful.
2: it. Um, let's talk about songwriting for a minute. Uh, sure. you released, you released a solo album in 2006 and you've got credits all over the Avit catalog. I know this is going to this probably take up the rest of our time, which I hope it doesn't. Cause I got more I want to ask you, but your impressions, your impressions of Hunter and Barlow.
1: Oh, gee whiz, man. I mean, the short version, <laughs> the short version is uh, Hunter is the classic American song. He's he is in the songbook. Like if you like bluegrass music or it's like folk, mu- bluegrass music, I, I would say or folk music somewhere where they meet old time music. You know, there is this classic songbook, right? That's, am I saying it's like an official book, no. but there is like what we would call the American song book yes. and going from Stephen Foster in the 19th century, uh, you know, he wrote, uh, I dream of genie with the light brown hair and, and, uh, hard times and, um, these songs that we just, again, you don't know, you, know, you watch Bugs Bunny cartoons and you're introduced to them, right? you know, so they were around in the 40s or 50s or whatever it was, but they were around in the 1850s, you know, and and beyond. But so, and then through to the early 20th century and jazz, early American jazz, and there is this like American songbook. And Hunter is in that he's in those, he wrote in those pages. He's clearly influenced by that in his writing. What's interesting about Barlow is his and his biography is there's john barlow with the grateful dead there's john barlow internet pioneer i
2: know it's crazy
1: and if i would say to your listeners pick up a book called these truths by jill lapore and you will get a american history from columbus to trump and you get two thirds maybe a little further in that book and john perry barlow internet pioneer who wrote the declaration of digital independence the the okay. the the worldwide web declaration of independence uh he plays a big part with newt gingrich in okay. the internet that we have today and all that's going on and I don't know that he intended it to be like it is, but, but he's one of the forefathers of the digital age. And it's just so, it's so crazy. Uh, it's, it's insane. So, but his songs, you know, they're different than, uh, than hunters. And they're sometimes, I mean, like throwing stones is, is an example, uh, where you have, just the, um, the historical knowledge, uh, with the activism and then with the color of the, of the, the color of the music, it's, it's just insane. It's just, they're they're just very different. You know, sometimes you get into your Barlow moods, you know, and it's more brooding and it's more, uh, the individual against the world kind of yeah. thing, black throated wind, uh, thinking of, uh, you know, um, you know, hell in a bucket, right. That's, that's him. Uh, you know, a lot of those Bobby songs, is just a different, I, I don't know, but I, I do, I do beg of your listeners to study his biography. And I think he wrote a book maybe before he passed where mm-hmm. there's a book about him that came out. Uh, so really study Barlow. Cause he's, he's a really interesting figure
2: right on. In my opinion, my personal opinion, one of the coolest things about our job as musicians is our collaboration with other artists. And for me personally, many of them have been with heroes of mine. You know, how did I these these how did I get here moments? These, oh my God. And and you, you guys, the ABITS have had numerous opportunities to collaborate with Bobby. Um, how did that come about, first of all?
1: We were playing Warren Haynes' festival, Mountain Jam. Mountain Jam. Yeah. And he was playing. And he liked us. And I don't know who made the ask. Maybe it may be Paul Lore, maybe our booking agent. But it was uh communications were passed between camps and he said he'd be happy to do something. And we did Merle Haggard's California Blues, which was so perfect. Like that's where we meet, right? Our, our, sure. You know, that's where we meet. I think he was really excited to do that with us. I think he was really like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't, it wasn't a and dead
2: song. Let's go do no. something different. Yeah.
1: And then we did, uh, races on, nice. uh, and maybe we did one more and he maybe go, he played go to sleep with us. Our song, go to sleep. So that might've been our first, I might be leaving one out, but that was our first experience together. And then the next one was Red Rocks and we did uncle John's band.
2: I saw that video. It was awesome.
1: And we learned again, that was like for our camp, that was, um, we got in the woodshed on that. And he, I think he was impressed that we got on the woodshed, you know, that we put the time into it. Like, and, and we did that and we did, oh, it was so awesome. Uh, we did going down the road feeling bad, which we always did, which that was one of our one, of, one that we always played, like going back to the earliest days uh, differently. Um, uh, so, and then we, maybe we did something else. And then at what's the big thing. they do in Virginia, uh, the big oh, festival locking. Lock yeah. Pete's thing. Um so we did lock and we did, and that was great because we did one of those trailer rehearsals where we got in <laughs> one of those trailers and he told these stories and like, I don't know where, where it made him think about this story. but He told this great story and we, and then we did masterpiece, which is another thing that we, we play. We used to do.
2: One of my favorites. That's a, that's a song I could play every night and not get sick of oh,
1: Me too. Me yeah. too. And uh and maybe we did uncle John's for that too. Yeah. So it was, you know, these are Rob, these are the things that like, they're not the the record on the wall, like the, the gold record and they're not the Grammy and they're not like the high profile thing, but I, I'm convinced that these are the things that you're going to, that, that will, will carry with us. That will mean more. I think in the long run, they don't make or break your career, but they, but they mean so much
2: for sure. I mean, I, you can't see it, but this picture right back here, there's a bunch of them, but there's a picture back there. I mean, I live in St. Louis of me playing with Chuck Berry. Now oh that gosh. meant nothing. It was at a local bar, but, but it I sat, meant everything, <laughs> but Chuck, exactly. But Chuck Berry sat in with my band. Didn't tell us what we're doing. Didn't tell us a key. Just starts a song. That's that's something I will hold forever, you know, all forever. of those moments. For- so I'm sure that was amazing for you, the guys in the band. But for you personally, but for you personally. I had
1: Yeah, because to- I remember walking outside Giant Stadium doing laps, trying to get a ticket.
2: Right. And now here you are And I'm this,
1: right next to the guy.
2: And He's singing on my mic. Right. I saw in one of the videos you were playing fiddle on something on one of the songs yeah, that you oh, guys did. So
1: he invited us at Red Rocks to come out, a few of us and me and Joe. Is Tanya with us? Maybe Tanya was with us, our fiddle player
2: now, and we came out and played on Franklin's Tower. It, she was. There was two fiddles on stage. Yeah, I saw I yeah. On the, the Frank. How cool, man!
1: And again, like the like the early days with the Ava Brothers on bass, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing,
2: <laughs> but it didn't matter. But there it is, and now it's there for the whole world to see on YouTube, man. Is.
1: God forbid.
2: well Bob, i I can't think you know if there's so much more i want to ask you but i know you're pressed for time but before i let you go i do this with all i do this with all my guests okay you you don't have to think too hard just a quick lightning round of questions okay let's do it uh first grateful dead show
1: oh uh that was 92 that was giant
2: stadium all right. Favorite Grateful Dead show. Doesn't have to be one you went to, just your favorite show.
1: No, but it was, it was um remember in 93, they did the nine nights or tw- nine nights at Madison square garden. Yeah. Uh, I went to three of those. And uh, so I went to like two and three, and then like six or seven, the number two or three, six or seven. Um, and they did the last one I went to, they did St. A circumstance and, uh lost sailor's taking the same circumstance and uh, that was always my
3: favorite another
2: one of my favorites to listen to and to play that's a great one to play um studio recordings or live recordings oh man i go back
1: and forth like people right people trash the grateful dead studio recordings they're not known for being these sonic achievements why i don't i don't get it what did you what did you expect like again, it's and I think the Avett Brothers we share this where the live thing in this it's like two different animals. Right. One is one is art, one is art in motion. Beautiful, in, man. You know they're they're two different things. So I love Go to Heaven. I love Shakedown Street. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, no, no. I like no need, no need to apologize. I, I hey tweet at me whatever. I like I like Built to Last. <laughs> I enjoy listening to Built to Last. I mean I haven't done it for a while. You
2: know I think. A lot of the things people didn't dig was the overproduction, you know, to them, yeah. to so many of these people, the dead is what they learned on stage for some reason. Sound. And then it's overproduced in their mind when they hear it on the video, on the, the studio versions. And blues for
1: all is, is, is like this epic, right? But for some reason, that period of go to heaven and shakedown street and maybe Terrapin station those records. I love, I love wake of the flood is that the name of that album with uh here Comes sunshine? Mm-hmm. I love, right. I, I love that. So yeah, you know, I, I, I like they're both, they're, they're just two different things.
2: All right. Well, the next question is going to put you on the spot. Which one of those okay. is your favorite?
1: What's your favorite dead album? <laughs> Favorites don't exist. I don't, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't say, I just can't say maybe Terrapin station. I don't know. Uh, what What is today? Oh, it's Monday. Well, then it must be, <laughs> right. you
2: know. Well, then you're never going to answer this next one because it's it's the, the Desert Island album, your favorite non-grateful dead uh, album. The one album oh, you take okay. with you if you're on a dead, that one album you take with you to the Desert Island.
1: Might have to be Dylan. Dylan? All right. it might have to be
2: Blood on the Tracks or Desire. All right. Some people can't answer. I appreciate that. And some people I, take minutes and minutes.
1: I can't, but it depends what day I'm stranded.
2: So <laughs> All right, well, today's Monday.
1: So uh- I'll, uh, I'll say, I'll uh, say, I'll say it's it's a desire. I'll say it's desire
2: today. First job,
1: first job, uh, grocery bagging groceries at Shoprite in Ventnor, New Jersey.
2: Favorite color, favorite color, blue. Favorite venue to play,
1: Red Rocks.
2: Standard answer, everybody, yeah. everybody. It's yeah. impossible.
1: I, I, and I think it's it's becoming. I'm I'm gonna move off of that just because it's been so many years. I'm, I have to start saying something else because I love the Greek in Berkeley as well.
2: But there's that energy of Red Rocks though, and I watched your guys' yeah. little documentary about your Red Rocks experience. Amazing. and that's everybody. Yeah. You know, I'm watching you walk in. I'm like, I had that experience when I walked yeah. in the same spot. It's just something about it. Best city for a day off.
1: Mm, Burlington, Vermont was nice. It's mm. been a nice day off there. Uh, Kansas City. Kansas city's great. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll, if we're in that part of the country and we've got a day off, we, you know, and it roots well, we'll go to Kansas city, Uh great art museum in Kansas city. Yeah. Um, also enjoy Portland, Oregon,
2: also Washington, DC, a lot of friends in DC. Right. And anywhere with a good golf course. That's a, that's always a good one too. See, that's
1: what's be- That, that is what's happening now. Like that's changing because I'll wake up. Now I look in the bus. I see here I'm <laughs> at the venue. Where's my nearest golf course. Golf
2: do it every day, man. And in Burlington, there's a great one. So you got you got Burlington. You tell me about that. You got so, Vermont National there. So you're you're in good shape.
1: Rob, we need to come up with uh some kind of a club where we make well, we 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 play golf together, obviously, but we get country clubs and private clubs to let us play golf when we're in their towns.
2: I always wear because a golf sometimes hat. your own wear a golf hat when you're not on stage, man. Now I'm out in public a lot more than you are when you're off stage. Cause yeah. it's a little bit harder for you guys, but I'll be in a golf hat in a restaurant or something. Oh, you're a golfer. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm a member at Wingfoot. Can I take you out? I, yes. You know, so I'll, I've, I've yes. become friends with a lot of fans who take me to their clubs to
1: play golf. I, I had, and this happened to me recently in Philadelphia and it was amazing, amazing experience. Um, uh, I, I have done the thing where you call the place and you say, I'm in the Ava brothers and we're playing at da, da, da."
2: And can I come play? And they say,
1: no members only. And I don't know what the Ava brothers are, or who you are. And I really you don't, don't have care.
2: The balls to do it, man. People tell me to do that all the time. And I'm, I've done it. I've I done do it. So. Balls. Yeah.
1: Do it well, I've, I've been hit down, so I won't <laughs> do it again. Probably But oh,
2: first car,
1: first car, uh, Pontiac T1,000. Current car Chevy uh, Colorado pickup truck. Book I'm reading. Oh, I'm reading a great book by Peter Canellis. Peter Canellis, and it is uh, the life of of John Marshall Harlan, who was a Supreme Court justice during the Gilded Age, and he's known as the Great Dissenter because he, at this period, where all these uh, laws were rolling back the rights for freed blacks, he was dissenting. He was like the lone, often the lone dissenter. And he would write these great dissents that became the pro the, the, the map for the modern civil rights movement.
2: Wow. Very cool. And any magazine subscriptions?
1: Christianity today. Uh, I have subscribed to relics. I don't currently. Um, And that's it. Yeah, that's it.
2: And as we start getting back to normal and we've been going up and down, we're getting towards normal. We're backing up. We're getting towards normal. We're backing up. Once this is all over, what's the, what's the one thing you are looking most forward to with this with the light at the end of the tunnel? Well,
1: I don't, I don't eat eat inside. We don't eat inside. Like I'll eat because my daughter, she's, she's a cancer survivor, three-time cancer survivor. And so we only will eat outside. Um, And I miss just it being raining out and being able to go into a restaurant. And I know many people are eating inside and I'm, I'm triple vaxxed. I got my booster last week and, and, uh, I still won't, I still will not eat a meal inside. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I miss my wife and I going on a date, going inside somewhere and
2: having, you're not alone. My wife has uh, got severe asthma and we have two children under 12 who aren't vaccinated yeah. yet. So yeah. we haven't eaten. And we just, we just actually got my wife for the first time. I think we went, finally went and sat outside of the restaurant. Now I do that but it was the yeah. first time the wife and the kids had done it just recently. Yeah. So we're getting there. Well, Hey, I, I kept you a couple minutes late. I know you got somewhere to be, but I cannot yeah. thank you enough for doing this. This has been, I we, we could talk for hours. Not we even, could. You. we go to golf, man. We'll just, let's do we'll, it. I hope, I hope our paths cross and we can get out on a course and have a good talk and play some golf together. If
1: you, if we see our paths crossing, let's make this happen. Let's go out there and hack, hack
2: at 18. <laughs> That is the key word there, man, hack. (laughs) All right, folks, that was Bob Crawford from the Avid Brothers again, man. Thank you for being here. Have a great day. Pleasure. Best to you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that one. I certainly did. And that will bring us to the end of another episode. And I would very much like to thank Bob Crawford and Mark Diomedi for being here today. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider becoming a patron with subscriptions as low as $5 a month that offer some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back in two weeks with episode number 23. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. We really need to keep things going in the right direction and we got to take care of everybody, not just ourselves. Thanks for being here.